0: seeing where they overlap with the client's with the clients' why and what they enjoy and then how they actually relate to the products and services as well so like how are those features actually beneficial to that audience's need or it even leads the things like coming up with new business ideas I've found for some of my clients like okay so the audience cares about this and they need this I'm passionate about this oh this is like a whole new idea that I could do you know so it's kind of it's not just informing like your copy or your design which it should it's But it's informing
1: the businesses as well. Hello, and welcome to Smart Online Marketing, where I chat to switched-on entrepreneurs and experts to chat about smart strategies to build your business in a profitable and sustainable way. My name is Katie Griffin, and I am in the digital marketing game. I specialize in Google Ads, and I've worked one-on-one with clients such as Showpos, Whimaker Law, and Snuggle Honey Kids and I also have my own course teaching small businesses how to grow profitably using Google Ads. If we haven't met before, I'm a kombucha-loving, Real Housewives apologist alongside my love of all things pop culture, and yes, that does include the Kardashians. I'm a mum of two, a self-confessed hippie at heart with a love of all things business. Hello. On today's episode, I have the incredible Megan Raynor, who is a brand strategist and copywriter And also a superhuman because she has two twin babies who are just over 18 months old, and she manages to combine her own business while wrangling them. Which I just take my hat off to her because I don't know how she does it. But she is super switched on, and she loves to develop brand strategies that combine what the business wants with what the audience wants and find overlap between the two. And I think. Brand strategy work. We touch on this in the episode, but I find brand strategy work so bloody difficult. I don't know about anyone else, but it's just something that always seems so abstract. And so the idea that she actually gets into the validation of what the customer wants as well as what the business wants and kind of combines them together to come up with this holy grail of a brand strategy just really makes sense to me. And I love that philosophy. So we talk a lot in this episode about brand strategy. And then also touch on what it's like with agency life, because she came from an agency background, and then how she's transitioned to be a service provider and the challenges that have come with that, and imposter syndrome, all those sort of things. So I loved this episode, and I can't wait for you to listen. Welcome, Megan. Thank you so much for joining me today.
0: You're so welcome. I've been so looking forward
1: to it. I know. We've been trying to organize this, and I'm grateful that you have taken time out of your Busy day, which we'll get into what you kind of do in your home life. But can you tell me a bit about you as a brand strategist and what you kind of do in your work life?
0: Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, I guess the first place to start is by saying what a brand strategist actually is. (laughs) So, I help brands come up with their brand strategy, which essentially is their foundation really, it's the document they refer back to going forward to make sure that their brand is always portrayed the way they want it to be so as a brand strategist I try and find that magical overlap between their audience's needs and challenges and what the brand actually offers and stands for because that's where I guess where the magic happens where you connect with your audience and actually be able to sell yourself or your brand or your services and I help them do that
1: I think the thing that I I was talking to you about this a little bit off mic but I think the thing that I find difficult about brand strategy is it just seems like whenever I'm doing that sort of work it's like am I just making this up or how do you like what's the what's the like how do you know that you're not just kind of like popping this strategy down like how what's the process of extracting a brand strategy from I mean I'm sure that's a huge question but like is it, do you find that most people innately kind of have some idea of what their audience wants and some idea of how they can help that, help serve that, but then your job is to kind of formalize that into more of a strategy? Is that kind of what it is?
0: Yeah. So most people do have a bit of an idea because generally when you start a business, often it's because you've seen either a gap or you've experienced problem with staff. So you have some kind of, I guess, affinity with your audience already. But the part that I find really important is making sure that's actually right. Because, like, you might have this idea of what you think the audience needs or has challenges with, because that's what you've had challenges with. But what if it's not? So you don't really want to build your strategy just guessing. So I totally get what you mean about feels like often you're just like, I think this is what they want. or I think this is right. But that's why a is important. Because for me, for example, the process is I'll talk to the client about what problems they had that led to this idea um all the things that they are passionate about when it comes to their business what keeps them going on those really hard days like so for example if you're having a really hard day and you're like why am I even doing this it's what what is that why you're doing this Because so that's the thing that they will keep them going um and then at the same time looking at the audience's reasons so ideally um I let this for brand camp especially which Brain camp, sorry, not brand camp. <laughs> Brain camp with Kirstie Fenton, amazing. But we talked all about the psychology behind how people connect with brands. So a lot of that is actually talking to the audience directly. So whether that's through surveys or talking to them in person, or so for a lot of my clients, they're small business owners and they have friends who are in their audience. So we'll just gather a group of their friends and start talking about what do they find challenging, what are they looking for, like what are their goals, and then see where the brand actually fits kind of finding that overlap between what audience really wants and needs and what the person is passionate about because you don't want a strategy that's just, again, it, it has to be about the audience, but it can't be entirely about the audience. Otherwise, what if it's not something that the, the owner isn't interested in or cares about because then they're not going to want to keep going, you know? but so it's, yeah. it's finding where they connect and then making that into a usable document. And
1: so it's about, so I love the way you explain it. It's about finding that overlap between you and your audience. And yeah. you do that through validation of of surveys and actually talking to your audience. So, it's kind of also like the process of, I guess, when if you work with a copywriter, they'll often talk to your audience and um, try and figure out, you know, what makes them want to connect with your offer or your products or to be able to write copy that resonates with them. So, it's kind of like using those same sort of skills to be able to form a strategy that not only works the business but also then reflects into sales or whatever it is with the customers as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely, because by talking to them and figuring out what they need, and like more more from almost like an emotional angle, not just like a demographic or a location.
1: Yeah, like women between previously
0: thought. Yeah, exactly. But they might all have completely different goals and needs, so it's like hmm. narrowing in on that
1: finding out those emotional
0: things and um, seeing whether overlap with the clients, with the client's why and what they enjoy and then how they actually relate to the products and services as well. So like how are those features actually beneficial to that audience's needs or it even leads to things like coming up with new business ideas I've found with some of my clients. Like, okay, so the audience cares about this and they need this. I'm passionate about this. Oh, this is like a whole new idea that I could do. You know, so it's kind of, it's not just informing like your copy or your design, which it should, but it's informing the business decisions
1: as well. I think, like I said before, where I've struggled with that is sometimes or most of the time that I've done that sort of brand strategy work or ideal customer avatar work, it's more been me brainstorming myself and then I feel like I'm just chucking ideas down on the page and it ends up just looking exactly like my ideal customer avatar is like me or like, you know, and, and then I think, well, because I'm someone that resonates a lot with, is this like data and numbers and all that sort of stuff i'm like but it's not really backed up by anything it's just me kind of spitballing to myself and hoping that that resonates with with my audience but i i love the part where you actually involve the audience in that brand strategy because then you it's kind of validated as well
0: yeah completely and i mean it is a good place to start by just writing down what you think they are based on your experience so far, especially with an existing brand, it's probably a little bit easier to do that because you can see what resonates. So, for example, which podcast episodes get listened to the most, or what Instagram posts get the most comments, what kind of comments they are, or if you get asked the same questions again and again, like those sorts of things will will give you information that could help inform your strategy. But for a new business starting up, it is really important to find some kind of audience group that you think is the right one and talk to. And then maybe you may find out they're not quite right and you have to find someone else. But at least you know before you completely go down the path of building your website and putting your ads out there. Yeah. And how did you
1: get into doing brand strategy work? Like what, I'm sure it's not something that you're like five years old and you're like, I want to become a brand strategist. Like how do you get into that as a as a career path and start your business around that?
0: Oh, my gosh. I'm, I feel like I'm the ultimate slash. i in so many things. <laughs> So I went to uni to do graphic design originally. So I'm a trained graphic designer because i have never known it because so I don't use it. <laughs> but while I was there, I learned all about advertising and realized I had this natural, I guess, skill for copywriting and putting emotion into words and things like that. So I then ended up focusing on copywriting and just using my design to make it look pretty. Where I got, then went from there to an agency, an advertising agency, where I was a, a creator from so doing this little hand gesture thing. Um, which means essentially you're coming up with the ideas to sell the brand through an ad, and then I focus on doing the copywriting for those and else does the design. So it was kind of the seed of an idea of what a brand strategy was. I guess was starting, but I didn't realize it at the time until I moved to my next agency, which was a branding agency instead of an advertising agency, and that's where I realized it was so much more powerful to be focusing on the brand from the start rather than just taking. Brand later on and doing some random ads for them, which is where I really fell in love with this whole idea of helping a brand work out what is their overlap and what makes them special and making them excited about their business because they knew what they stood for and, and what to do next. So it was mostly, I guess, things I had already learned but evolving them through learning in this brand agency before four years later I can meet up for myself as a brand church, and here I am now. <laughs> and so
1: you, you, I love that you were saying rather than being involved in like that end product of like putting the ad out there when you don't really have any impact on well what's the strategy behind this or what's the message that we're coming back to at the very start so you wanted to be kind of more at the beginning stage where you're helping or more or maybe even that middle stage where you're redefining that brand strategy but where you have more impact on the end product anyway because like the ads the copy the content because you're able to inform that with the brand strategy is that kind of like Everything that comes from there, if all the marketing, all the other content, and everything like that, does be is informed from that top brand strategy.
0: It should be, yes, because that's what keeps the brand consistent. Um, and without consistency, your brand's all over the place. It's not really a brand, and it's just like all these random bits and pieces. Whereas that's what I love about it by having this solid document, a brand strategy can refer back to for so your advertising or your social media posts or even the, I don't know, the touch points you have along your customer journey, whether you have more one-on-one involvement or whether you do other things, it just helps inform everything you do for so all feel like it's coming from the same brand, the same business. And that yeah, that's what I love about it is that it keeps everything nice and tidy and consistent.
1: And I guess that helps even more so when like a lot of people that you might be working with at the beginning could be a one-man band, like a solopreneur. Exactly. Yeah. And then as you start to bring on other people to help you execute your your vision and your, your brand strategy, then it becomes really easy to, or a lot easier to uh, have a consistent messaging across different touch points because you're not all just like working from a brand that you think you've got an idea of in your head. It's actually documented and you've got some sort of formalised strategy in place.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure you may have found this before you had any um. Auto outsourcing, but when you're doing it all by yourself, it just feels really hard as well. Like even if it's in your head, some days your head's just too full of everything. So being able to actually refer to something makes it easier even if you are just the one person doing it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I want to do a quick detour. What is it like? What was your experience like in agency life? Because I think that there's a um a narrative that agencies can be really chin and burn and it can be really long work hours. Did you have that sort of experience in your past agency life
0: absolutely um its duty, <laughs> it was kind of drilled into us that we're really lucky if we got a job in the agency it was very competitive especially in advertising um so you kind of went there expecting to do long hours long weekends and then you just i guess partly because it was your own expectation as well you just did it so it definitely was i loved it i definitely loved it but looking back it's not exactly healthy to be working like 7 in the morning to 11 at night and weekends so like. It's not good for anyone. You
1: no. You can't be creative. No. And then you reach the point where, I mean, we haven't even said the fact that you're like a superhuman superhuman because you have twin babies that are nearly 18 months old. And so at what point did you realize I'm sure there was a point that you thought, I can't, I can't, I won't be able to sustain this kind of lifestyle if we're looking to have children and move into that kind of next phase of your life? Like I think in your twenties and your early twenties, you can kind of burn yourself. Not, not that it's great, but you ha- you don't have as many, usually don't have as many outside forces pulling your attention away. But once you start to build a family and get into that stage of your life, it, it's just not sustainable to work in a nine-to-five job anymore and especially like a seven-to-eleven job. Like, So at what point did you kind of make the decision that you needed to transition and start to work for yourself? Um,
0: well, I guess in a way I was quite lucky because, when I transitioned from the advertising agency into the branding agency, there was a lot more work-life balance. It was still full on, but it wasn't weekend, every weekend and things like that. So I had started to feel like I enjoyed not having to do that really, really hard out crazy hours and my work was better because of it. So for me, it was actually more about that I wanted to be able to be home with the babies when they finally came eventually, but also that I wanted a new challenge i've been in the agency the branding one for four years and at that point i was working my way up to the creative director but i had started questioning like i need to new challenge. but what am i going to do i don't want to go to another agency because i do like it here there's no point just like hopping around but i feel like i need to do something to challenge myself and step out of my comfort zone and the only solution i could think of was to go out by myself to take on clients that i want to work with rather than just clients that you're given and so i did it <laughs>
1: And what's that experience been like? How long have you had your own business for?
0: So this would be coming into the fourth year.
1: Wow. Wow. It's yeah. a good time to be running your own thing. Like it's, And you would have had different challenges amongst that time with the babies and stuff like that. But do you kind of look back and think how much your own, not brand strategy has changed, but how much the trajectory of your business has changed since the very beginning?
0: Yeah, it's so interesting because when I think back to when I first my first week where I was full-time by myself, I thought I was just making it up. Like, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm an imposter. Why am I expecting people to work with me? <laughs> Even though I had all this experience behind me, I didn't have an agency behind me. So I suddenly felt like, what am I doing? Even though it's what I wanted, like, why would anyone trust me? This sort of thing. Um, whereas now I look back, I'm like, it was so silly. Like, I knew what I was doing. I still know what I'm doing. But it just took, I'll say it took probably that first year to really get over that imposter syndrome. And it definitely still comes up. And am better
1: like away. Well, <laughs> yeah, and I think it comes up in so many different ways. Like when I was in an agency and I was doing a lot of the pricing and proposals and stuff like that to clients, I would have no problems like pricing for what the job was worth. But then when it comes to doing it for yourself, you just have this like, oh, are they going to think I'm charging too much, or I'm actually worth this amount of money, and all that stuff. And I think that takes that took me a good year to be able to actually price effectively and yeah. charge what what the job was worth but then you look back and you're like why was I doing work for like something that they wouldn't even get anywhere else and I know that I was doing it better than any-. you know you just but yeah was all a crisis of competence kind of thing
0: absolutely and definitely in that first year maybe even some of the second, I just took on anything that came even if it, even though the whole purpose of reading was leaving was to challenge myself and have clients I wanted to work with I took on anyone because I just you never know what's going to happen next and I wasn't sure like will anyone else trust me ask the client you know whereas now I'm a lot more picky I only work with people who I feel like I can actually have with and our personalities gel because that's when the best work happens but yeah when I look back I'm like oh me again.
1: <laughs> when you so with brand strategy work is it mainly just like a fixed period of time that you're working with a client say like three months or six months or whatever it is is it like a finite period or is it do you have like ongoing retainer clients?
0: I have ongoing clients because I still do copywriting as well, but I always work from the brand strategy upgrade to make sure that the tone of voice and the personality and everything we're talking about is aligned with that strategy. So there is ongoing work, but the brand strategy part is finite. Like, I have had a client where we just refreshed their brand strategy. She was one of my first brand strategy clients when I went freelance, well, when I met staff employed and she came back recently, and she's really very, very about her business, and she's taking new directions, we just refreshed that. So People do come back, but usually it's just for
1: other things. I think because I'm thinking of like when I, you know, we, we just talked about how at the state. you're like, why did I take, I just, I think every service provider gets to the point that when they first go out on their own, they, they're like, I'll take anyone that sort of comes to them. And I guess the benefit of having finite periods of like a brand show, if they come back to you again, you can just be like, oh, you know, I'm fully booked with clients or whatever, whatever. Yeah. With my work, because I'm an like with Google Ads management, it's like usually just an ongoing retainer kind of thing, like month to month and you work two years, five years, whatever it is with someone. And so I had to go through that tricky period of like trying to extricate myself from situations that I had underpriced myself at the beginning and also was working with people that I didn't necessarily align with. So I think that that's something that other service providers at the start need to be kind of wary at. You you need to balance the need to get revenue but also (laughs) figure out hang on a sec, you know, is this really what I want to be doing? And am I working with clients just for this, because they're coming to me? It, yeah. I think every service provider that I've spoken to has had that same situation where they're just like, oh, my God, at the start, I just took on anyone that kind of landed in my inbox.
0: And it's so tricky because it so few feels my clients that I've seen it ongoing. Like I've worked with them from the beginning, so I've had to up my prices with them as I've gone. And obviously I've proven my worth with them, but it still feels, even now it feels a little uncomfortable to have that conversation. We've already had the conversation every year for the last like three or four years, <laughs> but it does. Others, they kind of like have dropped off so have as I've upped my prices. But sometimes it happens naturally. Yes. And it kind of has to happen, but it doesn't mean it feels any less
1: <laughs> No, I totally agree. I, I agree. I've had that situation as well. And you're like, I know that I'm undercharging and I need to charge what I'm, what I'm worth, but It's always a difficult conversation to have because there's emotion tied into it with your own emotion. It's your own revenue on the line. It's also a client relationship. And yeah, it's always a tricky one. I don't think that ever gets easier. With being a service provider, you reach a point where, especially when you have young children, where it can be hard to just be doing client one-on-one work because you kind of want to diversify and have different income streams, um, maybe some more some less intense because working one-on-one with a client can be quite intense and when you're their sole point of contact it can be difficult to then negotiate that around limited working hours and things like that. Have you had that same situation as well?
0: Yeah it's definitely been interesting since I had the twins a year and a half ago. In a way I feel like it's made me a lot firmer on my deadlines and timelines with clients so when I expect something from them and it's in the contract that they have say for example their questionnaire or feedback me by a certain date. I'm reminding mm-hmm. them and like if they can't get by that date, I may not be able to do the work and the time that they've got booked in um it's made me a lot firmer and that sort of stuff that oh gosh it definitely is so much trickier isn't it yeah I'm trying to work out how to fit everything in and potentially the two half days I might have off from babies a week
1: <laughs> it is and it it's it's so tricky I think when yeah, you're the one that's delivering the work. It can be really tricky, especially I run into the problem a lot where I love what I do and I'm like I could do more if I had more time and then you get this, oh, maybe I could squeeze it in when the kids are napping or when this happens and it's like you end up overbooking yourself and then not being able to deliver on everything. Um, So what sort of steps are you putting in place to be able to have some more, I guess, flexible earning capacity rather than just the one-on-one client work?
0: Well, the main thing that I have, actually there's probably two main things that I've implemented in the last few months. The first one is that I have been offering half-day booking because I'm often booked out, since I have such a limited capacity, I'm often booked out like two or three months in advance for grant jerseys and copywriting work. But occasionally someone will come and they have and they need last minute. So I allow like two half-days in my calendar where I can pop it in for that month if they need it last minute. And then I know that it's done on that day. I don't have to be hanging over me and I don't have to push anyone else out for it. And the other thing I've done is I started my own online brand strategy course, which was another imposter syndrome thing. (laughs) i celebrated deliberated for so long over whether it was ready or whether I should be doing it. But in the end, it means I can do more work with more clients and help people be clearer on their own brand without me putting in the hours and the one-on-one time. So that's my other thing that I've started implementing. I've done one round so far, the beta round, which was fun. And then the second one is coming out at the end of
1: I think you're also forgetting that a lot of people, myself included, I like to work in a group program, and also it can often be more accessible price price point for the customer as well. So for the person doing a brand strategy, you can get that group feedback too, and you're not just working one-on-one with someone. You're actually in a group program too. So I think that there's a lot of benefits from having a course or a group program in your service offering because the main reason that I wanted to offer my Google ads course was because I know that working one-on-one with me on an ongoing basis, it really isn't designed for everyone and it shouldn't be designed for everyone. A lot of people don't need to be paying monthly retainer fees. And, but there's this gap in the market where it's like, so they have to go and Learn on YouTube for hours alone and try and figure out what Google Ads is or what a brand strategy is, or they could get guidance and and expert feedback from someone and not necessarily be paying the one-on-one prices. So I think it's a win-win situation for. That's how I see it. That's how I see courses and group programs as well, especially when someone's got the backing behind them of like you've worked for so many years in brand strategy and working one-on-one and delivering these really, you know. Um, expert strategies to people that you're able to deliver that in a way that's more flexible and accessible to a lot of people. That makes it feel
0: really good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, you know, I think that like
1: when I look at, when I look at the options between, yeah, I I don't know. I just, I think it's a really big, um, especially from a customer perspective, it can be really, I don't know, scary to kind of invest in a group program online because there isn't there's not as much of that tangible one-on-one you don't necessarily get on the call with someone and it's just you and them talking but sometimes people don't want that anyway like I know for me I love yeah. being part of group programs because there's not as much of my time that I need to be spending one-on-one with someone so i think it's a win-win for both the client and for um for you as being able to not be responsible like there's i've been talking about this with another Um, friend of mine who she does solely one-on-one work and it's also really it can be a lot of energy that is getting sucked from you as well especially when you're you've got young kids there's only so many clients you can take on at once and if you've got young babies at home like that can be you're fully on for your clients and you're fully on for your family as well it can be really a big a big energy time like suck for you you know not in a negative way but it can be really energy draining
0: yeah, absolutely. It's so interesting So I feel like you get to that point where you either have to um, up your prices incredibly to be able to just do one client a month or something like that or be able to offer something else that's less of the time for you just time up front to get it all running in the first place. Yeah, it makes so much sense to do it, but for some reason, I guess because there is also so many courses out there, there's almost that mindset. Well, I know that for myself. I was almost like, does the world need another and then my friend, um, one of my clients, she's me, like, well, the world needs more Megan, so there's enough reason. <laughs> it's I'm funny sure though. a lot of people feel like that as well.
1: Yeah, totally. They, they're
0: like, it's, who needs me?
1: I know, but it comes back to what you said, right, is that if you've got, like, I think this is why people find that brand strategy works so hard is because you're always going to have this imposter syndrome floating around your head and you're always going to have, like, you know, you're. It, I think that's also why it's important to work with other people as well and get them whether it's a business coach or, or a mastermind or have someone else in your back pocket that you can lean on, because you know that like, and I know like people would look at us and be like, why do they have imposter syndrome or whatever it is, but everyone gets it. And I don't know, there's just something about like, why does, what, you know, who am I to be teaching X, Y, and Z or who who needs another brand strategy course from me? But then you come back and you're like, well, I have one-on-one clients that are booked out until two, three months ahead this is another way that people can work with me and it's more like more flexible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to, it will work out much better for the babies as well. Cause I'll be able to be on with them when I'm with them and not be thinking about the, all the client work I have. To do.
1: <laughs> yes. Okay. So let you, let's move back before we wrap up, let's move back beto- bef- to brand strategy stuff and talk about what, like we've talked about, you know, why it's important and stuff like that but what sort of I mean from my perspective I know that when I started doing some brand strategy work my copywriting became better and my um, Instagram and all that sort of stuff it became a lot easier because I was coming from a place that I kind of knew what I was wanting to say and I defined that voice is that like what other main benefits do you see of having a brand strategy? Okay so the
0: main benefits I see of having a brand strategy and a brand strategy might be slightly different for every client because it kind of depends on what they need, but there are a few key areas that I think every client, or every brand needs to know about to be able to do all the things that they do. So it's knowing their audience, knowing why they're doing what they're doing, for so their purpose, their point of difference, what makes them different to everyone else. Knowing their brand personality, so it's that tone of voice you talked about, but also what it looks like visually. And also their brand values, so what is it they stand for? And so the benefit from having those clear things is that so, for example, when you come to hire or outsource, which a lot of people do end up doing as their business grows, you know what kind of people you want to work with. So, you will be referring back to your, your values, for example, as potentially part of your job listing ad or part of your interview process so that everyone you work with will be aligned to your brand already and the and the strategy that you have. And I guess another benefit that you kind of just touched on is that it makes it easier to do the business stuff because you're not just making it up. Like you can refer back to your brand strategy and be like, oh, my audience is challenged by this. I'm going to do a post that gives me some kind of advice or solution that aligns with what I do. Or referring back to it and saying, oh, so this is what makes me different. This is what my advertising is going to focus on for this month that highlights that point of difference. So, oh my gosh, it's such a long way around of saying that. I think it actually benefits everything. Because <laughs> you don't have to think about stuff. You don't have to overthink it. You can just refer back to what's in front of you. And use that to answer whatever conundrum or whatever challenge you're having or if you're just having a day where you can't think of what to post on social media you can literally just like take something out of it and use that
1: i think that there's so yeah there's so much that can be that, that becomes easier it's a lot of work at the start it's kind of like anything there's a lot of work that you have to do at the start to develop that that whole thing but then everything else kind of becomes a lot easier and if you do the work on the front end it'll pay you off Tenfold when you do everything else on the back end and you're not just flying by the city of Pants all the time.
0: Yeah, which I think a lot of us do when we're busy and rushing around. We're just like, oh, I'll, I'll just do this for now. Maybe later I'll come back to it and do a different thing.
1: You a <laughs> yes, 100%. Okay, finally, I want to understand what it's like running a business with twins because I have <laughs> two kids, but only single births. So how did that change the way that you operate as a business and how did that, like every time I've had a, a baby, I've gone through this like crisis of career and changed things up and stuff like that. Like, have you, did that make you redefine a lot of things or reevaluate things?
0: It definitely made me think about what I wanted to be doing when I wasn't with the baby because suddenly my time matters so much more and I don't move that meant that I didn't want to be working on things that I wasn't passionate about or with clients that weren't quite my kind of people. So I guess it kind of helped me redefine, like, what do I actually want out of this business? Like, what is the point of it? If it's taking time away from my my little babies who are no longer so little, um, it needs to be worth it. Because if it was just about money, I could go and get a part-time job or something, you know? So it had to be, it helped me redefine, like, what do I actually want out of this business? Which kind of led to, the brand strategy course in the half is because then I could be more, I guess, better with my time so that I could spend that time with my family. And then it also helped me redefine like what are my prices because it had to be worth spending that time on the work and also what kind of clients do I want to work with.
1: I think it like changes everything because those are those are things that I've gone through each time as well. It's like what am I I'm not spending my time on and what is worth not seeing my kids for, especially when they're so young, like what is worth not spending yeah this time with my kids and what sort of work do I want to be doing is you, you do get a lot more not picky but you get a lot more I guess narrow-minded of what what is important and then what can kind of be put to the side and you don't need to focus on I think that you become a lot more productive though as well because you've got such a yeah. short amount of time <laughs> um that you can actually do things and I just don't even I don't like I can't even imagine doing it with with twins so I just think you're amazing <laughs>
0: I mean, I have no choice. I have to
1: do it now. I know. I know. I think also that, um, yeah, when you you have twins, you're kind of like, I don't know any different.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) um, Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Can you please tell people where they can find out more about you and also maybe connect with you on social media and all that sort of stuff? Cool.
0: So you'll find me on the gram at Meg Sraignor, M-E-G-S-R-A-Y-N-O-R, and my website is dub dub and i'm just in the middle of doing a rebrand for myself finally <laughs> um so that will be looking brand thank you in a few weeks if you want to check that out
1: can i just say we can brand like <laughs> is your does your kind of brand get pushed to the bottom of the pile when you're working with clients and you're like oh i've got to get to yeah. that i've got to get to that
0: absolutely like i didn't even have my own brand strategy until a couple of months ago <laughs> oh my god so i'll get round to that that's not paying me. I need my client work at the more for with it. I'm just at the bottom of
1: the pile every time. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so funny. Well, thank you so much. It's been so great to talk to
0: you. Yeah, thank you.
1: I loved that chat with Megan. I think that she provided so much value on why brand strategy is so important. And that kind of clicked into place for me, even though I'm sure I'll forget in a <laughs> bit's time. But anyway... Megan is currently part of my 12-week mastermind and her brand strategy course is just going to be so helpful to those that want to be able to develop a really comprehensive brand strategy and kind of don't know where to start and need some expert guidance with that. So I'm so excited to see the progress of her course. And if you're interested in learning more, make sure you do check her out, her website, All the links are in the show notes and go follow her on Instagram as well because she's always fun to follow. I will see you in the next episode and I, what else do I need to tell you? My Google Ads course will be launching soon. It starts on the 8th of March, but next week starting on what date? Let me just get my dates lined up. Next week, starting on the 22nd of Feb, I'll be holding a free five-day mini course and I'll have daily lives and five challenges on how to get your Google ads account up to scratch and figure out what exactly you're doing in there and making sure that everything looks fine. So that will be super fun. Last time we had, I think like 3000 people join. So I think there's a couple of thousand in there already. If you want to register for that, the link is kgriffin.com forward slash bootcamp. And that link will be in the show notes as well. And my course, if you want to join the wait list for that, the it'll be the last time that I'll be opening it up for about 12 months because I do have a baby in my tum and I won't be doing any courses during the first nine months I guess that baby so if you do want to join the last round of the course for about a year, you can sign up to the waitlist. It'll be katiegriffin.com forward slash course dash waitlist. And I'm so excited for that to start as well. So they're kind of the things that you need to know. I will see you in the next episode. Follow me on the gram. I'm at katiegriffin underscore and do all the things. Great review, share with a friend who you think this would be helpful for. And I will chat to you soon.